0: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Combine. We had some big transfer news. There's a little more uh, coaching news. And some spring practice games have already happened early into March. So we're going to be getting into all of that. But uh, Nick, how have you been? How was your weekend? And are you a big combine guy? Do you watch the combine a bunch, a little, do you just like the news that comes out of it? Uh, How do you um, absorb the combine? So
1: I, I don't sit and watch the combine for like big stretches. I might have it on kind of in the background and uh, you know, we'll, we'll look up occasionally from, the computer and and see what's going on. I do follow it on Twitter. Of course. I mean, I I follow as many beat reporters as possible and, uh, lots of NFL draft, uh, associated folks. And so I, I don't miss very much of the news that comes out and and we'll see, you know, Oh, so-and-so, uh, just absolutely is rising up draft boards because of all these, you know, uh, huge numbers they are putting up things like that. Um, but I don't I don't spend a whole lot of extra time uh, sitting and watching it itself. But I do think it's interesting. Um, sort of, we we get to see. It's interesting to me as a as a transition period from college to the NFL. And I try to pull out you know one or two things a year maybe um, that can be useful in some way for what I do as far as, you know, college football work. And and just one of the things that, that I've been thinking about a little bit uh, this weekend is kind of two different approaches. Obviously, you guys know how well Georgia did, how well Georgia players did at the Combine. Just uh, a lot of, you know, top marks and speed and uh, just plenty of, you know, athleticism. Uh, all the different metrics that that you see different scores a lot of Georgia guys rank pretty highly there and a big part of that is of course they recruited an elite level and we were talking just before we hit record you mentioned that this year uh you know it was kind of the Georgia show where in a lot of years it's kind of the Alabama show and I think that makes a lot of sense. but then another team that the last few combines have have kind of uh you know Baylor's put out a couple of interesting prospects here and there I think it Twenty, when twenty twenty, they had like five guys drafted. Um, but then this year, the fastest man was from uh, Baylor, Kalen Barnes, and he's not a, you know, expected to be a big time pro prospect. I think I've seen uh, he'll be somewhere between you know a fifth or seventh round pick. But we talked a, a few years ago about some of the interesting things that Matt Rule and his staff were doing at Baylor to kind of unearth some of these underrated raw prospects who weren't very refined as football players, but had kind of unique athletic gifts. Um, and they were you know, able to kind of unearth some of these guys, bring them in and turn at least a handful of them into uh, high quality college players and, and a few into you know, future pros. So it's, it's interesting to me to see there are many different paths to the NFL and when you're looking at it from a team by team college team by team perspective, you have, of course, the teams like Georgia, who for the most part uh, do it just because they have the most talented guys. Although of course, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a little about Jordan Davis. He was a you know three-star guy, not a super highly recruited guy uh, at first. And so they were able to find him, recruit him, develop him into potentially first round pick, if, you know, at the very least somebody who basically won the combine. Um But it's, you know, it's interesting to me to see some of the teams that consistently produce uh, these guys who pop at combine time, who you might not have expected. Um, But there are certain programs that have a pretty good track record of uh, producing players that really excel and and get uh, scouts and NFL talent evaluators really excited this type of year. So those, you know, not not really any hard and fast. Uh, uh, takeaways necessarily for me most years, but but I always try to look at it a little bit through an eye of player development, talent accumulation, uh, things like that, and, and try to you know see if there's one or two things I can learn and, and apply to uh, the work we do on college football.
0: And uh, Xavier, I know you are a uh, gigantic combine fan. We were talking about this before because I'm obviously a huge NFL fan, love college football too, um, but. The combine, I don't know. It's fine. For me, I like the stuff like the, you know, the Eagle shooting, the, uh, you know, the the mini hoop or whatever. I like stuff like that. I like uh, rumors about players, whether they're at the combine or already on an NFL roster or whatever. I mean, th- this is kind of how we knew Jamar Chase was going to go so high in last year's draft because in 2020, all the corners talked about how good Jamar Chase was. Right. I like little things like that better than the times, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the Combine to me is kind of to confirm what you already thought. Like, if a guy's fast and he runs fast, all right, you know he actually is fast. You know, it's not just something you see on film. Uh, but I I feel like from talking to you before this, you're a bigger fan of the Combine. Did you actually tell me this is your favorite event for the NFL? I mean... Yes, know, I did. Yeah, it, it's... I understand that it's not the Pro Bowl, you know. It's better than the Pro Bowl and everything like that. But you still have the Super Bowl and the NFL Draft and like you know uh preseason and minicamp and all this stuff in the. Uh-huh. Still, your favorite? Yeah, no. Everything else except for the Super Bowl
2: that you just named was, uh, and maybe the draft for the first three rounds were snoozefests. Well, it goes about minicamp and and I the draft is too long. I'll, I'll give you yeah. that much. Yeah, but, you, know, you know. I mean, we were we were in a, a stream last year, and by like round five, we were sitting there like. People were asking me on certain players, and I was just like, I, I honestly just have no clue at this. At point, man. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I could tell you about what he looked like in, in college, but that's about it. I could give you like a, a brief, you know, bio of what the guy was like in college, but that's about it. No, I, I really love the combine. Um, so much so that as a kid, I used to do the receiver's gauntlet in my basement. Oh, like, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, like
2: I used to run down i used to do both sides and then run down and then run back like i used to train for the combine as like a 13 year old like these is this is something i genuinely get up for every single year um and it's just for the surprises i mean i i love watching the you know the fastest man in this class with whomever it will be whether that man is going to be a, a you know a top 10 pick like a john ross well the, or there was it, it some issues matter.
0: with the clock too because yeah, apparently exactly it, And I heard this, I think I was listening to PFF, um, one of their podcasts, and they said that Charlie Casserly has been running the stopwatch for like the last 17 years at the Combine, and they had a new guy doing it this year. That's why like day one, those times came in slow, or, or I think when the wide receivers ran first, the times came in slow. And then yep. when they ran the second time, they came in fast. That's why everyone thought Taequann Thornton was running a four two one and all that. And everyone was like, well, if Jameson Williams was running, he would have ran a 3-9-8 today. Like, it's just Yeah, like, it was insane. like, it was really, it was really bad. He was like, off he was by, by 7 tenths of a second, which yeah. is a lot of time. So, like, 4 know, two yeah. 8 is still crazy fast for Taequann right. Thornton, but it's not four two one, And that's like, you know, you Usain Bolt level.
2: So. Exactly. But no, yeah, I I think this is an awesome an awesome time to also see what schools are able to put out. What, you know, I mean, I I think this is you know, in my opinion, this is where you know you're able to see the guys that you haven't set, seen before. You know, my one of my favorite guys coming into the combine was Chad Mumma out of Wyoming. Like Wyoming's just not a team I get to uh, get around to a lot. You know, and to watch him in the pad drills, to watch him, uh, you know the drill work is important to watch how he flips his hips, gets over bags and things of that nature. And it's really big for guys of that level. Uh, I, I, you know, I this is a, a term used for college basketball, but these mid-major teams, this is a huge opportunity for these guys. And that's these are the stories I love the most, you know, uh, or the guys who are on teams that just weren't all that good this year. You know, obviously you got the Georges who, you know, take over the combine for for the three-day stretch in which it is, or whatever, however long it is, I forget um, off the top of my head. But it, it's an opportunity for them to play at their utmost best, to then to get ready for it. Heck, you start training for. People think that you train for the combine, like right before you're going to do it. When I was in high school, we were training three cone drills. We were training. You were doing
0: time. it in your basement. Yeah, I like mean, genuinely, yeah, you, you were getting you ready for it. the
2: combine. You, you, know, you start doing broad jumps and stuff like that when you're like 16, 17 years old in high school. Like so, like these are the youth, practice pretty much your entire life for this moment to be invited to the combine and to, to, to see what you can do on that stage, because you know, so many guys whose, you know, lives have changed because of it. Shout out to Stephen Hill. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like those are the kind of situations that I I love to look for, you know, even when it backfires, you know, uh, like a Stephen Hill situation, you know, who ran, I think the fastest 40 time of the receivers that year, then went like third round to the jets and was out of the league and
0: before his rookie deal was even up. But
2: like, those are even the stories I like to
0: see. So, my favorite uh, story, particularly out of this combine, Nick, uh, and I don't know if you saw it, is that Jordan Davis put up the number two relative athletic score in the history of the combine since it's been available behind Calvin Johnson. Yep. Calvin Johnson, number one, Jordan Davis, number two, because he ran the 479 at 331 pounds or whatever it is. And they put the overlay with him, you know, running right, he ran past. Patrick Mahomes, right? And Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback and weighs like a hundred pounds less than Jordan Davis, uh, which is just absurdity. And, and, you know, I think uh, all of us that do mock drafts, I got one coming out next Monday for fantasy pros. uh, I mean, putting Jordan Davis at the back of the first round is probably no longer an option. I feel like he's going to, he's definitely going to go in the top 20 after this combine, which he was, I feel like Jordan Davis was a top half of the first round player up until the playoff. And then, you know, we saw him come off the field on third down sometimes just because of, you know, uh, his size and, and all that stuff. And, you know, make no doubt about it. These teams were running uh hurry up to tire him out specifically. Uh, but now I don't know, man, I think he's going to definitely go in the top half of the first round because of this insane combine and um, the, all the other stuff he's put on, on film. So, uh, what do you think about Jordan Davis being the number two relative athletic score behind Calvin Johnson? I never thought we'd see that.
1: I, I definitely didn't expect it. I mean, it was a special player and, and could tell, you know, just watching it really just even looking at him. I mean, he just looks different. Right. Um, and standing out on a defense that he played on, one of the best defenses in recent memory, uh, just as physically gifted as he is and, and has the ability to impact a a play, you know, just, just a really, really special player. Uh, But I'll be honest, I, I didn't expect him to be one of the, you know, pound for pound, most athletic players ever. (laughs) I I knew he was different, but I didn't know he was that, uh, that different. Didn't, didn't quite see that coming. Uh, But, really 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 impressive um and then it was interesting to me to just see georgia player after georgia player um rank as high as they did in in you know the 40 and all the other uh athleticism scores that was that was just uh it, it was it was interesting to see and it was uh, pretty easy to understand like oh that that makes sense this is the national champion and and one of the best defenses we've seen of all time, uh, or at least in in this current uh, era of of college football that we're uh, we're in. And, and of course, because they've got the most talented players at at all these positions. And and how about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jermaine Johnson? Like, yeah, play or, or, you know, he played, but they have such depth um, that he. Uh, full time starter, uh, and he's—I mean, I, I think before the combine, I don't even remember I- exactly how well he did uh, testing-wise, but I've seen him as a you know potential first round guy, and he was not really even able to to you know be a standout on that Georgia defense a couple of years ago. But um, it, it the bringing up the the RAS scores is is also interesting to me. As I'm thinking about what Xavier just said about how these guys have specifically, you know, it's it's become a thing for high school age players and college age players to do combine specific type training. It makes sense that these scores are getting better and better. And I know all those, you know, take into account, I think it's back to 1987 or something. Um, And it's comparing each player. And it seems like every year, like, oh, this is, you know, a new top five player of all time and and it seems anecdotally like we're seeing more and more of those green boxes, you know, pop up that oh he's a you know top 10 all time of the last 1000 uh players at the position or, or whatever. But you know, if if guys are specializing in drills and of course we've seen an explosion of the uh what, what are they you know when when guys are training for the NFL combine there are those companies that are you know geared specifically towards that yeah it, it makes sense that that guys are getting better and better and better at these drills which may or may not you know have anything to do with how well you can play football and so sometimes <laughs> a guy pops up as uh you know pops up as one of these combine just superstars and they get a shot at the nfl and they get uh you know a contract that comes with that and it might not Translate to a great career, but yeah, you know, I guess they they achieved the uh, objective of of getting somebody interested enough to to invest in them. So uh, yeah, Davis was one of quite a few people who made made some money this week, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean for sure, and uh, you know the the my my other favorite part of this combine, at least. Uh, xavier because this really pushes um how you take measurements and all that stuff what did you think about the controversy about uh kenny pickett's hand size xavier and oh, every all of that year with this man yeah, like, i mean remember joe burrow was the guy who had tiny little hands last or two joe years burrow ago. baker and Mason, he was just dude, in the super bowl yeah tyler so.
2: murray like yo we get it like ah he has tiny hands like here's, this, here's the here's the the funniest part, right? Like all the guys you named, right? For most part, played in like relatively warm areas. Kenny pay, played in Pittsburgh. He played in Pennsylvania. So for right. everybody to be like, can he play a cold game in the winter? I'm like, he just did it. Like, what are Bra- talking Brady about Quinn. Here?
0: I saw Brady Quinn doing an interview this week and he, uh, he said, you know, uh, so, somebody said, well, Pittsburgh and, you know, uh, maybe the giants, uh, there are teams in the North that, that, uh, need quarterbacks. And he said, well, if we only had a sample size of how Kenny Pickett played at Heinz field. Right. Uh, so, uh, that, that was, I mean, I was dying, you know, because it's, these some of these measurements are just ridiculous. And I, I I understand, you know, I listened to Dane Brugler talking about it, too. And he said, look, you know, you are this is basically gambling. If you're a GM and you're gambling with millions and millions of dollars. So if there is a piece of information that is available to you and you don't use it, what are you doing? And I understand that. I understand that side of it. Like these are huge decisions. You know, it's not like. Uh, you're drafting a fantasy team. And uh, well, if this guy doesn't make it, whatever. No, you lose your job for stuff like that. So I understand taking all the information and using it. But good Lord, the guy like we just saw the guy. He was number one on everybody's board until they measured his hands. That's going to be the thing that that makes him uh, drop on your board is his hand size. Guy wears gloves. So why don't or should we do the measurement while he's wearing gloves? Should we take that in, into by, by the way? He did have a fumbling issue. So the fumbling issue, I think probably bigger deal than the hand size. You can say it's correlation, but it may not be causation, maybe because the guy runs a little bit too much. Maybe he needs to learn how to cover the ball a little better, you know, so the hand size stuff is always I'm glad Xavier. See, I knew Xavier is going to be on my side. We're all short guys here. So, uh, you know. Uh, the short guy football po- podcast here, you know, but uh, size
2: is actually bigger than Kenny Pickett's.
0: I'm sure it is. But, I so. but I mean, uh, so does that mean uh, Xavier Trish is going to, should be going round one, be Indiana slinging it around. Game? That's right. Exactly. So I don't know that that stuff just, it's always some, something. Yeah. Weird. You
2: saw the same thing with Aiden Hutchinson. They were like, Oh, he's six, seven, but he has short arms. I was like, what are, we, what, are we, what are we on about he's ah I just don't know these his arms you know his arm length and him being six seven just you know maybe he won't be able to get his hands on the defense on the offensive lineman you know in time I'm like yeah or God. he's just gonna you know do what he did in college in the pros you know it's like it's amazing how measurables can change everything like right. literally people's entire thought well 800 can't go one anymore why he's got short arms and we're, okay it,
0: and the pounds, you know, we're talking like some guys are too skinny. Uh, you br- rarely ever hear of a guy being too fat. Like if it's too fat, it's they're out. They came in out of shape, uh, you know, a little bit overweight, blah, 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 blah. They you would have heard that if Jordan
2: Davis ran a, short, uh, a slow 40. Oh, at 350, he's fat. what, a, what yeah. a guy. You know, Georgia can never get him to 300 pounds. They tried to. All of that would have came out. But right. on the flip side, he runs a 478. He's like, oh, this guy's a freaking nature. You see, we yeah. doing at 3:41, like,
0: and uh, th- they mentioned something constantly that that uh, we reference on this show a lot. Nick and Bruce Feldman's freak list was brought up so many times this week because, I mean, mm-hmm. a guy like Jelani Woods at 6'7", and he ran a four six or whatever. You know, uh, guys like that. So that is also a big time crossover between college and the pros. Is the freak list uh, was used a ton this weekend.
1: One of the things that has sort of occurred to me, and, and this probably won't come as a surprise to you guys, because I have a tendency to just sort of, uh, you know, wander through uh, my my ideas and, and opinions, and and often don't land on a you know hard and fast take or or whatever. But uh, this weekend, I was actually had a conversation with somebody who, you know, asked me about quarterbacks. Uh, Green Bay Packers fan and um, obviously is given some thought to the future uh, at that position for for them, but was asking me about the quarterbacks. And and I don't know if it's just, you know, this year there's not a, a Trevor Lawrence, there's not a slam dunk uh, prototypical guy, especially at that position. But it seems like there's, you know, as Xavier mentioned earlier, conversation around Hutchinson and even Thibodeau and, and guys who are considered pretty easy uh, bets to be successful, you know, pros and and among the best at their position. Uh, there's even some questions with them, but at the quarterback position, especially for me, I think probably maybe it's just me this time of year. And, and because I'm not necessarily as dialed into the NFL draft, but I have a tendency to be able to talk myself into and out of <laughs> uh, just about everybody. And, and at the at the quarterback position, it, it seemed like I, you know, as I was kind of uh, rambling through my answer and, and, and in this conversation, was making a case for Malik Willis because of course, he had a, a great week, had a great senior bowl, uh, but then talked a little about Kenny Pickett and, and there are some, you know, comparisons to be made. He's probably not Joe Burrow, but you know he might be the closest in this class as somebody who just kind of took a big step from one year to the next and really finished his career on a high, uh, you know, at a high point, but has some, uh, you know, some things at the combine hand size, whatever, that just aren't quite <laughs> perfect and, and don't really uh, fit in line. Carson strong. I've always been uh, really intrigued with his tools. I, I am a sucker or speed at the NFL Combine, I'm a sucker for arm strength with quarterbacks, things like that. So uh, I just, you know, I didn't give the guy a good answer, but I was definitely uh, rambling my <laughs> way through. And, and part of the part of the problem is I can talk myself into and out of uh, players and, and into and out of teams, as we talk about a lot, you know, during the year. So maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a me problem, but it, it was something that no. actually uh- uh, came out in the world with me this weekend.
0: I think that's the class like, you know, you have this class of, you know, maybe four to five quarterbacks that, you know, all could go one. It just and this is the whole thing is, you know, I know everyone expects Malik Willis to be the first quarterback off the board at this point right now. Two weeks ago was Kenny Pickett, and it wasn't a question. It was definitely Kenny Pickett. Now it's Malik Willis. Well, Desmond Ritter just ran a great time, and it feels like teams are talking themselves into him. Sam Howell is PFF uh, number one on PFF sport, right? So, uh, and he is has the longest track record as a starter over all these quarterbacks. So, um I think it's this class specifically and the fact that this class, you know, the grades aren't going to be as high as some of the other ones. But I think we had the same issue a couple years ago when it was Baker and Lamar and and. Uh, You know, Josh Allen and uh, uh, Josh Rosen and all these guys coming out as well, right? It's kind of the same deal, uh, except for everyone's considered real good in that class. I mean, Lamar was the last one picked out of all of them. So um, this class, it's the same thing, except for instead of the front of the first round, people are thinking of the back of the first round. So we'll see. I think maybe because no one has absolutely separated themselves Maybe it won't be till round pick 10 that we see the first quarterback going. But, um, you know, after Aaron Rodgers decides what he's doing and Russell Wilson gets settled and all of that stuff, you know, uh, I I think that uh, things will get more settled. So instead of a bad quarterback class, I prefer to keep calling it unsettled. But uh, going back to your question about um, just like teams and um, which ones tend to show up. At the Combine, more, you know, because obviously Alabama, Georgia, um, a couple of the other schools, you mentioned Baylor. Baylor was brought up by Charles Davis, I think. He was giving your boy Matt Rule, who may be back in college pretty soon. We'll see, but uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Rule yeah, uh, was picked, getting...
1: these aren't as high of him as
0: they used to be, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from not the, a From what I gather. I mean, he can't make a chicken salad out of you-know-what here with Sam Darnold so far, so we'll see. But... um People are giving him a lot of credit for putting really the track team together at Baylor. And there's some other schools that just like it doesn't really matter how bad they are. They always have at least a couple players. Miami always has a couple players. USC always has a couple players. Texas isn't like that. I think we have one guy, really, maybe a couple guys at the combine uh this this year but uh it wasn't a huge group so Memphis is always well represented you know um you mentioned uh TCU and easy went he transferred from Memphis to TCU and I feel like Memphis got as much buzz as TCU in this combine. So Xavier do you have any other examples in terms of teams that uh show out at the combine? I won't say teams
2: but big 12 receivers I think okay are a constant like uh combine darling all the go all the way back to you know kevin white uh chris coleman uh you know obviously taquan thornton this year for some reason you know cd lamb like they're always mims exactly like there's always like one or two even if they're not from the big schools quote unquote that come to the combine set the world alight and they'll be drafted in the second or third round because of what they were. Yeah, exactly. Duvernay did it last year uh, or a couple years ago. Um, Another one. Oh, I just had it in my head. Even little Jordan Humphrey had a decent combine. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, you know, there's always a a, a Big 12 receiver that either boosted their claim to be a a first-round draft pick or just boost their stock overall, like, every year.
0: And and pretty much anyone born in Florida, it seems like. It feels like if you're born in Florida you can run a four five forty like it almost feels like that it's just unbelievable the state of Florida and uh these uh you know athletes that that state produces is just incredible which is why the SEC is so good right getting so many kids out of Florida so um but yeah I mean the I'm combine Georgia. yeah Georgia also yeah <laughs> uh the uh, combine still uh, well
1: Georgia's pretty good
0: was uh, very, very interesting this year, as it always is. You know, it's all, always interesting. Uh, it's a little tedious to me. I know Xavier likes it a little bit more. I probably like the drafts a little bit more than, than Xavier, though. So um, but let's move on to what is uh, happening in the world of college football uh, this week. And we got just gigantic news from the transfer portal. The biggest one, of course, being that Jade Daniels has officially transferred to LSU. And I know uh, we talked about the potential landing spots for him. I don't know that any of us brought up LSU uh, last week. I don't think we did. And we all thought, you know, maybe Missouri, it kind of seemed like a smaller or same level type of school was going to be it for Jaden Daniels. But LSU is a big jump. I mean, Nick, he obviously had to have assurances that he's going to be the starter walking in there right um or maybe not i don't know what, what do you think about jane daniels going to lsu
1: the it's a it's a really interesting question because on the one hand it wouldn't make sense i think from daniel's perspective to not feel like he had a uh you know it was it was his job to lose right um LSU has a pretty well stocked quarterback room. I mean, they they uh, had Miles Brennan, who has just been snake bitten, unfortunately, and and you know still has, I think, some uh, potential there, and has played well in in a small sample size when he's had an opportunity. Uh, but the new staff at LSU talked him into coming back after he had originally uh, entered the transfer portal. They bring back Garrett Nussmeyer, who. You know, showed some promise in in four games last year, and then Walker Howard, highly rated freshman coming in. It, it seemed like you know one of those three was going to give LSU a, a pretty good chance to be highly competitive in the SEC West. Um, but you know, you have an opportunity to land a three year starter who has really shown some flashes. I mean, twenty nineteen. Jaden Daniels was incredibly impressive to me as a true freshman. And part of the, the you know, maybe reason for that, he had a pretty explosive receiving duo in Brandon Ayuk and Frank Darby, neither of which has been a factor in the the two years since. Darby, I think, played one game in 2020. Um, but then they, of course, were, were neither available in 2021, and Arizona State just hasn't had kind of the talent around him at the wide receiver position. And, you know, LSU probably does. I mean, Keishon Boutte is, is uh, I think a lot of people would say, the most talented receiver that Daniels will have had the opportunity to play with yet, but they've got a pretty deep group as well, some uh, guys who who have an opportunity to, to step up and be, become big-time players as well, in Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, I know Jack Besh, you know, impressed some folks last, last year. Uh, at times. So it's a pretty deep group. It's, it's a, you know, at the top with Boutte has a, the potential to be a, a star uh, go-to receiver. One interesting thing that I don't think I had realized the new staff at LSU has both an offensive coordinator and a dedicated quarterbacks coach. That's something that, you know, not a whole lot of teams do a lot of offensive coordinators are the QB coach and, and they spend a lot of time with quarterbacks. But one of the things I read uh, after this happened was uh, from Brody Miller of the athletic. Um, and, you know, he made this point that that they do have the dedicated, dedicated QB coach. And he kind of mentioned that Zach Hill at Arizona state was a little more of a walk around uh, coordinator kind of, you know, wasn't as focused maybe as at quarterback's, uh, on the quarterbacks, as some other offensive coordinator, uh, you know, other coaches might be. So having somebody that will be there with Jaden Daniels every minute of practice, every you know meeting, uh, might pay dividends. Who knows? So might might help him to kind of recapture some of that uh, what seemed to be a really high ceiling uh, uh, when he was a true freshman, and he's kind of you know. Hasn't exactly shown a whole lot of growth the last couple of years. I think is is fair to say. Uh, but one thing that that Miller wrote specifically, I thought was kind of an interesting. Quote, and I, I kind of want to see if you guys agree here because on the surface it was a surprise that LSU was the destination. In part because, like you said, Scott, we kind of I think had resigned ourselves to so late in the process. Maybe he's going to have to find a spot that's a little less high profile. Um, but on the other hand, he's going into this pretty well stocked quarterback room. But Miller said, quote, it's a no-lose situation that creates depth, flexibility, and a competition that will get the most out of everyone. And I I thought it was interesting that he used the word no-lose. And I wonder if you guys agree, because if you have, you know, Brennan, who at multiple times has been kind of the quarterback in waiting. Uh, you have Nussmeyer, who still has four years of eligibility left. You have Howard, who is this highly rated quarterback coming in, who might have had a, a shot to actually compete for a starting job. You know, there aren't very many true freshmen who get that opportunity, especially at, at uh, a program like LSU. You bring in a guy in Jane Daniels, who we all now assume has to be the heavy favorite to start, otherwise, why would they have gone after him? Why would he have gone there? Um, is it no lose? Could they end up with, you know, at least one guy transferring, maybe even multiple guys transferring? I mean, I I, I see scenarios where uh, this could create some problems, and it certainly could pay off. Uh, he could, you know, Daniels could progress as a player. LSU, maybe he's that missing piece uh, to get that offense going in year one for for Brian Kelly. Uh But I just thought that was an interesting choice of words. And I wonder if you guys agree that, you know, hey, yeah, yeah, it's no lose. You get the best guy out there on the free agent market, bring him in and let the best guy win. Or are you kind of like me and think "Eh, maybe maybe adding this uh, guy to the mix could create some problems. Maybe it won't, but it, it could. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to live in the Nick multiverse of I can talk my guy myself into uh, I, I, I am guy. doing that. I am definitely. Doing no, that. no. <laughs> and, and you don't you don't have to live in that universe to see. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, what they're saying is it's a no lose situation yeah, it's that well, it's not a no lose situation for you because if Brennan wins, then okay, great. Now Daniels is the backup and tough. You transferred, you chose and you lost. You bet on yourself and you and it didn't work for you. But if you go through this and Jane Daniels wins the job, which is what I think we're all expecting at this point. That's why he transferred there. um you know, then yeah, you're probably going to lose Brennan if not uh, other quarterbacks in that room too. So uh, there is a. Lose scenario, but I guess for them, and the way he's thinking is we're going to find out who's the best option at quarterback and we're going to add Jaden Daniels in there. So for us, it's no lose, you know, right now. So I guess I get what he's saying, but I don't know. There's definitely a way you can lose. You can go with Jaden Daniels because he looks great in practice, and then you get to the season after Brennan has transferred and he sucks. So that that could be something that happens, Xavier. How do you uh, how do you look at this situation with Daniels going to LSU?
2: Yeah, I look at it as a no you as a no lose situation personally. Um, I think if anything, you've learned from Georgia what you can do by playing the quarterback that you want to play regardless of who it is you know you look at what happened in the university of georgia you bring in jt daniels he ended up not you know necessarily panning out due to injury due to injuries uh not necessarily due to what he did on the field and ultimately you ended up winning a national championship with the guy that you wanted to be there uh jt hasn't transferred yet i don't believe uh
0: i think he's in the portal right he's in the portal yes in the portal yeah
2: but he has not officially left yet. Um, on top of that, when you look at the rest of the quarterback room, there's been no shaking up, and you're talking about a five star in Brock Vandergriff and a four star in Gunnar Stockton, who all decided to still come in. You know, obviously, you know, you, you feel like LSU's crown jewel in their recent recruiting class was Walker Howard, so he's the priority of making sure he stays. But as far as uh, Brennan and you know uh, and Nussmeier, you, you, you kind of feel like you you could take your lumps with that. Also, with it being Brian Kelly's first year, you want to maximize the talent that you do have. Um, on top of that, Jaden Daniels has. Two years of eligibility left. So if it doesn't work this year for him, he can leave next year and go somewhere else, um, and go to more of that mid-major type program or that smaller school, or what, even within the SEC, if he wanted to do so, like a Missouri or something like that. So I think it's a it's a no lose in, in the situation because in the the win, Jaden uh, Daniels ends up being great. Maybe he even decides to stay for another year, and you've got a two year quarterback. Sound familiar, LSU? You got a two year good quarterback. Um, you know, and, and then the, the fact that he doesn't play well, maybe Walker Howard gets early reps as a true freshman. And now all of a sudden you've got a guy who's going to be a part of your, your team for the next two to three seasons. So,
0: yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's good for LSU, you know, anytime you add a, uh, a player that has experience and, you know, obviously like Nick just mentioned, he's got a lot of weapons around him. Uh, and this has kind of been outside of Joe Burrow right? This has kind of been LSU's bugaboo, is they can't get a uh, high-profile QB in there. So it's always a guy like Mettenberger, who we talked about last week, right? It's always a guy in the Mettenberger area, you know, a pretty good, maybe an NFL-level quarterback, but not a star NFL-level quarterback. Like like we said, outside of Burrow, uh, it's kind of been their thing. So hopefully Jane Daniels can bring some consistency uh, to this room. And we had a couple other uh, guys, transfer transfer here, uh, offensive lineman, uh, Rutgers tackle uh, Rayquan O'Neal announced his commitment to UCLA. And WKU 40 games star Cole Spencer followed his former offensive coordinator Zach Kittley to Texas Tech. So that was an interesting one. And UCLA also filled some holes on its defensive front seven on Monday with the commitments of Grayson Murphy and G- uh, Gabriel Murphy, the twin pass rushers from North Texas. So uh, your thoughts on those moves, Nick? So I think I mentioned right at the, the
1: very end of the uh, bowl season that I have a suspicion that our preseason 2022 projections are going to be uh, a, pretty high, probably higher than most on UCLA, and, and that definitely makes me nervous. I don't know if I am a, a big believer in UCLA, but you know, making moves like this are – uh, they're they're smart to me, and they are at least uh, going out and, and trying to fill some holes they had. Uh, you know, three starters on the offensive line off to the NFL—that is a little bit of a concern. But you come in and, and bring somebody with a heavy starting experience in a power five conference. That's that's a good move. Uh, the Murphy brothers kind of were one-hit wonders and and uh you know they were a big part of the reason why north texas uh went from having one of the worst defenses in the country and in, in uh 2020 to uh by the end of last year being a, a real strength of that team and i think they've got you know a lot of potential and and certainly could help and we've talked in recent weeks that ucla also lost a couple of guys um who were kind of in that same mold as pass rushers to the transfer portal as well, so to fill uh, fill with with two guys who were highly productive. I mean, both players are in the nineties now in our individual player ratings. One's a ninety-two and one's a ninety-seven. Um, so they just they were highly successful, very very productive uh, playing in Conference USA. It'll be interesting to see how that translates at UCLA. But you know, it, it sort of continues the trend of UCLA, at least the way that we calculate. You know our our talent numbers and our overall uh, player ratings and and build those up into our team ratings. UCLA is going to have a, a just a really strong roster, I think. And so I don't know if I trust them, but they continue to add talented and or you know productive players with some kind of sneaky ads in the transfer portal. Maybe they'll be a you know a surprise team in a, a south division that everybody think that Utah is the favorite and USC is going to get a lot of buzz, of course, because of Lincoln Riley. But I think there's an outside shot. UCLA, maybe not our favorite uh, or our highest ranked team in in the preseason in that division, but they're going to be in contention, I think, and and within striking distance, of both Utah and USC. And and, uh, definitely a team that, that, you know i'll be keeping an eye on especially if they continue to add some players like this as we get into kind of this next wave i think of of transfer portal moves
0: yeah and i mean just more and more Xavier the transfer portal becoming uh, a bigger bigger part of college football every single year and ucla absolutely taking advantage of it so uh getting themselves uh a nice advantage in the pack 12 right now right
2: yeah, and these are the moves I think that actually build. You know, obviously the big moves make a make a lot of sense, but these are the moves that end up making you from a like mid team, mid table team to a possible contender within your conference. Uh, you know, you, you get Dorian Thompson Robinson back, and with that, you get an opportunity to uh, you know protect. You get a better opportunity to protect him, which obviously we were able to see what he was able to do last year and, and UCLA. These these are the kind of moves that help build your program. You know, and, and, and keep sustaining su- success, excuse me, for the next year or two, rather than falling off after you have a really good team that ends up losing a lot of talent to the NFL. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at, you know, what you've got and you're not really ecstatic about it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think this is a really good move for them. I mean, he was an all Big Ten, uh, you know, uh, honorable mention. I mean, that that's, in my opinion... That's really good, you know, a really good get for them that I think will prove dividends this year. And it's a really good move for him as well, as I think if UCLA has any kind of real success, obviously his draftability goes up.
0: Uh, all right. We had some coaching news as well here, Nick. Um, just a little bit, you know, we're, it, it's a slow trickle. It hasn't stopped, but it's a slower trickle now. Uh, Georgia State offensive coordinator Josh Stepp is leaving to become the tight end coach at louisville which is an interesting move i guess maybe to a bigger school but he um was recently promoted to oc after serving as a tight end coach so i guess kind of a lateral move um but uh miami hire pro football hall of famer jason taylor to an off-field role which to me means that he'll show up during uh prospect visits like you know high school uh high school visits and may- maybe maybe some stuff in the background. It's just pretty cool to have Jason Taylor as part of your coaching staff. Uh, I, I'm guessing. So, uh, what do we think about these moves, Nick?
1: So the the Louisville and, and Georgia State uh, moves. It's it's particularly interesting to me because both programs are in the middle of spring practice, and you know, if you're Georgia State, you don't want to lose your new offensive coordinator halfway through spring practice. Uh, If you're Louisville, it's also, you know, bringing in a tight ends coach probably isn't going to change things uh, too much immediately, but it's, it is an interesting move. I mean, a a guy gets a promotion going to be running the offense at at one program, but then a power five school comes calling and takes a step back as far as title goes, but uh, you know, just sort of a a, a little bit of a curious uh, career move just sort of on the surface, but the jason taylor one is is you know a big name and and certainly uh, caught our attention obviously uh but it's uh it's it's a move that i have seen uh you know and and not a surprise to a lot of people who are aware of this sort of thing but some non-pro you know non-pro football hall of famers uh getting hired at fbs programs and even you know some some pretty high profile programs, uh, in part it seems because of their ties to, you know, the high school football community. And Jason Taylor was the defensive coordinator at St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale the last couple of years, one of the most prestigious high school football programs in the country. Um, and hey, just down the street from Miami, Miami is kind of you know ramping itself up again under Mario Cristobal to be. Uh, a major player in the recruiting world uh, again and and so you know you bring Taylor in who not only can help out a little bit as a pass rush analyst that's one of the things i've seen uh, might be you know part of his his duties there uh probably you know could could certainly uh, help some guys in the meeting room and they go out and take it out onto the field and and you know become better pass rushers but uh, his connections in South Florida specifically with the high school community there uh you know as a whole is something that that you know we've seen guys in texas i mean we, we just sort of lost over the um cole spencer going to texas tech but that's uh one that's interesting the, the new staff there um under joey mcguire very high school specific bringing a lot of guys in who've been recent uh you know just whether head coaches or or involved at at, uh, the high school level there just to, you know, work those connections and, and uh, that, that network of people who are very influential in, in uh, where the players end up going to college, their former players or or even, you know, current players. I'm sure there are some guys at St. Thomas Aquinas that Miami has uh, been recruiting and, and maybe, you know Jason Taylor now being on staff there, might help ease somebody's mind into you know thinking that Miami really is the best place for them to play college ball, who knows? But uh, just one of those moves that you know, if it weren't Jason Taylor probably wouldn't uh, catch too many uh, catch too much attention, but it's it's something that it does interest me for this, uh, especially when it's a new staff. how many guys from that staff, whether it's on the field or off, are coming from the high school level and specifically, you know, the places where that program recruits the most. So uh, I don't know, just kind of an interesting note. I thought. Uh,
0: Xavier, your thoughts on these coaching moves.
2: Here's the weird thing about the step move. It's not finalized yet. Hmm. So, okay. So I'm reading an article about it and it says head coach Scott Satterfield is working to finalize a deal with Georgia state offensive coordinator, Josh step to be the Cardinals next tight end coach. Now, you go to his Twitter account, no recollection of anything as far as him moving to Louisville right now. Like hmm. there's it, – it still says in his bio, which obviously that can change, obviously, uh, but it still says in his bio that he is the offensive coordinator and QB coach at Georgia State. Uh, heck, even as of two days ago, there are still kids uh, tweeting at him, uh, thanking him for giving for giving him an offer to Georgia State. Um, so – I don't know. I I don't know. I I haven't, uh, you know, I've obviously this might be something that's already happened under the table. I have no clue, but according to what, at least the internet is providing there, there's no, you know, there's nothing more than just an article talking about him working on a deal for that to be moved, uh, as of right now. So
0: I mean, most of the time when that stuff gets printed, it'll happen, but, uh, you know, it it is interesting. So a couple little, coaching moves are are you are do you think that the jason taylor thing is kind of what i said it's and and, you know nick also added to it by saying that you know he's worked for a big high school football program uh, in the area as well so i mean this is a recruiting hire isn't
2: it yeah yeah and it's a nice publicity stunt i mean you bring back a guy it's like last year i think I thought I, I was being rise.
0: nicer than publicity stunt, Xavier. I was saying stunt. for for a reason, you know. Come on, it's
2: like it's like when Arizona brought Gronk in last year. Like, yeah, yeah, great, but how many times? <laughs> like, my, here's my biggest thing, right? Jason Taylor is obviously a former NFL player. Is he really? And somebody could tell me absolutely, and I would, and, and you would have to show me evidence to so. Is this guy really going to get on the grind of going from high school to high school and to recruit at a high level? Or is he just? Hey, we got. Jason I think Taylor he on shows
0: that. up when they bring them on tours of the camp.
2: He, he's the big gun. He's the closer. He's I the closer. think so. <laughs> yeah.
0: Look, uh, and the only reason I say that because I don't know NFL players intimately at all. You know, right? And I'm not a big like follow on social media and see what they're doing guy either. I don't really care what they're doing when they're not on the field. But I remember watching Hard Knocks. I remember Jason Taylor was always late to practice. I remember uh, he uh, showed up late in expensive cars all the time and stuff like that. So if he's doing that at his normal job that he needs to be at, how is he going to be in this recruiting? Maybe something has changed between now and then. You got, always kind of have to give people the benefit of the doubt. But from the little bit that I've seen about Jason Taylor, I would guess that, like you said, he's the closer. You know, bring in the righty. It's the ninth inning. Let's slam the door on this recruit right here. So all you got to do, bring in Jason Taylor, show him a, a Hall of Fame jacket and get a W that day, you know. that The Hall of Fame jacket,
1: that's that's what I was thinking because uh, when Herm Edwards brought in all those uh, former NFL guys and, and his staff, like Kevin Malway was, was one, right? And he would just yeah. – uh, uh, I think there was a uh, – I don't know. It's been a while. Maybe I'm missing some details, but I feel like he was – on the practice field in his uh Hall of Fame jack mm. jack one day. <laughs> just he of, might yeah. have been
0: wearing his I mean you get a ring <laughs> for the Hall of Fame too. Maybe he's just wearing yeah, the, yeah. the Hall of Fame ring. You know, maybe he's just doing that. But either way, it's you know it, it's impressionable uh, on a young guy. So uh it, it's definitely a smart hire. But yeah, like like Xavier said, I don't think he's going door to door knocking on kids doors uh, asking him to play for Miami. You know what I mean? So I think he's showing up on a game day to stand sideline, watch what's going on and talk to the kids for five minutes. You know, so I think that's probably what it is. But um, you know, just like I thought it was weird a guy that I love. I love Heinz Ward but why the hell was he getting a head coaching interview for the Texans when he's an offensive assistant at FAU so he can live in Boca Raton, Florida. You know what I mean? It's not like it's that hard. I guess if you want to give him a head coaching gig, you can. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That that was a weird one uh, to me as well. But um, we did have one spring uh, game happen. That would have been quite a jump. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been. It would have been a crazy jump. Guys never even called plays before. You gonna make him head coach? I don't know. I think yeah, they did better with Lovey, and I love Heinz. But I mean, the guy doesn't have any experience. But um, speaking of on the field happenings we did have uh, a spring game happen coastal carolina already said as we talked about last week we've got new mexico coming up this week so um nick was there anything that you saw from the coastal carolina spring game that is interesting uh or hear anything and um th- this schedule i mean there are some games in march but it's so weird that coastal was so early new mexico seems pretty early as well and then Georgia Tech is on the 17th. We've got uh, San Diego State on the 24th, San Jose State later in the month as well. So we're going to get some games, but there's also, you know, there are some practices that don't even open until the uh, end of March here. So it's interesting. You know, we went, uh, a, we kind of went back and forth last week on, you know, what players and coaches prefer, obviously, between you and Xavier. And if you guys missed that, you can go back last week and you know you kind of heard Xavier from the the player side and Nick from the coaches side of how you want to get those uh, practices in early or late and all that stuff. But um, what have you seen uh, so far from or heard from any practices or the Coastal Spring Game?
1: I did read uh, a write up of the. Coastal spring game, and, and you know, we had talked about that uh, Grayson McCall wasn't going to be participating in spring practice. He's recovering uh, from injury last year. And, you know, most, most teams have uh, a handful of their best players sitting out, whether it's, you know, injury reasons or uh, I know they're sometimes in the spring or some academic issues, things like that. Um, but McCall wasn't available to play also Josiah Stewart who I'm uh, not sure if everybody uh, realized was a just absolutely uh incredible productive season as a true freshman last year defensive lineman set a school record 12 and a half sacks but he apparently also was uh recovering from injury didn't play and then coastal carolina's um one of you know several teams that are are going to be uh dealing with high roster t- Turnover. So it was interesting reading sort of the recap of the game. And I'm not a huge spring game guy. I know we've we've talked about it before. I'll try to catch a replay and and just see if anybody uh you know jumps out athletically or or, uh things like that. But I'm not huge into oh so-and-so threw for 350 yards because you never know if he's playing, you know, against the starting defense. And even if he is, is, you know, how many uh, of those best players are, are out there. Uh, Sometimes they might be playing against the twos or threes or, or whatever. And it's difficult to, um, you know, to parse all that out, but uh, there were a lot of new names as to be expected. A lot of the, you know, receivers, there are new. Um, A lot of the defensive players are new. And so, you know, reading through, apparently the score was like fifty-two to fifty or something. Uh, <laughs> and every touchdown was from a you know a player that you didn't really maybe recognize. I think the the first touchdown actually was a, a defensive score that uh, the Jordan Strong, one of the best you know uh, defensive backs and in, in the Sun Belt. Uh, was responsible for. But other than that, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a lot of new names. So definitely people to, uh, familiarize ourselves with as, as we look ahead to coastal Carolina who I don't think is going to have a huge, huge drop off, especially if Grayson McCall comes back healthy and, you know, Stewart is a great, great player. So, um, a lot of, a lot of new faces, a lot of new names and in, in bigger roles. But, um, also I don't know that I necessarily learned a ton, uh, at least from you know reading the recap and seeing some things throughout spring practice, but you mentioned the the schedule and and the teams that are kicking off now or or are underway. Uh, some some buddies of ours in the CFF community, Andrew Katz, who has a, a new podcast, uh, part part of a group there, burning the red shirt. Um, he I think spearheaded this, uh, put together a, a Google sheet. Uh, that he and and Chris K who's also part of that podcast but then I know Chris Moxley of Campus to Canton and also uh the College Football Filtered podcast uh helped fill in a lot of the the gaps with spring games but they compiled a a really comprehensive list of uh every FBS team when spring practice starts if they were able to find it uh when the spring game is scheduled if they were able to find that so really helpful tool if, if you're out there I know uh Andrew had it uh, you know, posted on Twitter and and uh, just put the, the link out for anybody there to use it. But uh, according to their work here, um, there are 44 FBS teams that have begun practice as we speak here Monday afternoon, March 7th, and a handful, uh, I think it's maybe 11, um, are set to begin this week. So, you know, there will be a lot more as far as position battles to watch teams with new quarterbacks. I mean, a lot of the guys we talked about earlier in the show, uh, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, you know, uh, Desmond Ritter, uh, who's going to be stepping in for those guys. What, what teams have new offenses, you know, Nebraska, um, Talking about Kenny Pickett, his old offensive coordinator left for Nebraska, Mark Whipple there. Uh, but Pitt also, new new coordinator at Kentucky. Miami, you were just talking about. I'm really intrigued by Syracuse. Um, and all those teams are, are kicking off, either already have or, or will be kicking off spring practice this week. Uh, but some of those other high roster turnover teams, Iowa State, uh, Michigan's been underway for a while. Cincinnati again, you know, has not just Ritter, but uh, uh, top running back gone, top receiver Alec Pierce, one of those combine standouts, gone. The deep's multiple NFL draft picks, you know, probably three or four uh, gone. UTSA from their best season in, in school history has replaced a lot of guys that uh, played a big role in that, and then. You know, a, a few handful of teams that might be in position to kind of be bounce back candidates. Uh, you know, Northwestern, uh, a real step back last year. Indiana had a giant step back last year uh, after looking like a, a program on the rise and, and then, uh, you know, fall back down to a 10 loss team. And then one that, that I know we have some uh, listeners who are Arizona fans there. They're one of the more intriguing teams to me, the work that they've done on the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal. Uh, so, you know, I've already uh, read a, a couple of practice reports there from Arizona. It sounds like some of the freshmen are, are making a name for themselves early, making a, a bid to uh, be, you know, early starters, major contributors. So there's uh, there's a lot to keep up with, but there are definitely some – things that we can learn from spring practice and, and thanks to uh, Andrew and, and Chris and those guys for uh, helping us or, or you know, us as college football fans organize a lot of these dates. Cause I, I don't know that there is a better collection uh, of, of these uh, of this information anywhere, but helps, helps organize and, and, you know, get us to group some of these teams and, and think about some of the storylines and some of the impactful things um that are happening this time of year and and hey maybe we'll learn a thing or two uh uh, this spring as well so
0: yeah yeah and if you guys uh want to check that out uh and at andrew p Katz k-a-t-z on the twitter uh to to check this out and this is very comprehensive uh as as you mentioned xavier are you when in terms of practicing games uh in springtime do you like the games more or do you like uh, practice notes more? What What is your preference as far as that goes?
2: I'm much more in favor of practice notes. Um, on the, the biggest reason as to why that's the case is because games are pretty much dictated by the coaches. Like how many times have we seen like Nick Saban on ESPN be like, actually, you know, I don't like that rep. Let's go ahead and run that back. Like, yeah, I, I know you guys probably shouldn't have the ball anymore, but like, let's go ahead and rewind it. So, right. you know, I, I think from that perspective, I like, practice reps because you get a better sense of who's actually performing well rather than like, oh, it's a spring game. We want everybody to look rather decent because we're on television. Um, at some point in my life, though, I will say I did like spring games more. I thought they were more um, indicative of – it was the best representation of what you were not privy to when you were not being able to watch practice because those practices in those games – or those, the, the spring game can be very intense. And you can see. You, know, you can tell what teams are like really ratcheting it up – for a spring game and allowing people to go out there and play a game as if it was real. Um, And those games in particular that don't necessarily have too much coach, you know, that the coach's hand isn't on too much. I enjoy Uh, because I think that you get a really good sense, at least from a physicality standpoint, especially for freshmen, you get an understanding of what they're going to be like, at least from a physicality standpoint, when they're having to go head up versus juniors and seniors whose jobs essentially they're trying to take.
0: Is there a date on the schedule to you that says Mm. this, you know, all these teams are opening up practices at different times. Like, like we said, there's teams that won't even open practice till the end of this month. And there's, you know, we already had Coastal Carolina play their spring game. It's over with. So uh, is there, is there a date on the calendar that kind of makes this stuff start being, uh more important to you or real or however you would want to phrase it like uh, okay this is when maybe it's when you had it uh when you were in college you know uh w- what what is that date to you if anything
2: like april 2nd
0: like april right 2nd. around yeah like right opening after opening day april for Fool's baseball day. Yeah. yeah
2: like right around there it, it it starts to get real um you know at the very least 75 to 80% of teams are in practice and and that spring game is in route um as a player you the, the weather changes over a little bit more in April. Um, you know, you, you start to get a little bit warmer in, in most of the country. Uh, and more importantly, you know, the, the rain in some parts stop. Thank God. Uh, you know, it, it was just it, it just felt more like, you know, when you have it in March, you still have to deal with some of that winter weather. So you're like, ah, this doesn't feel like a spring practice. Right. 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 Uh, but once you get to April, you really feel like, OK, cool. It's 82 degrees out here. And we've got a monsoon coming in about two and a half hours. Let's go ahead and get this practice over with. Like, that's really what you start <laughs> to think. That's really how you start to feel. Um, And and then the school itself starts to kind of get up and gear up for it as well. A lot more people start to ask you, so like, hey, how does spring practice go? We're like, hey, who's looking good this year? You know, how uh, how'd your spring practice go in particular? Uh, So, yeah, that's that's really the time that people start to think about it as well from like it's just a, 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 an outside perspective too when you're a player.
0: Is there any of these – May, May Oh, May 1st for you? Really? Because that's of, late. You said to you my, like to do games er, as early as possible. Or is that when all because, the games are over?
1: Oh, I thought you just meant me personally. Like, when, when am I uh, no, well, excited I, I mean about that it? Because, too.
0: I'm just surprised it's so late because you said you like uh, earlier practices.
1: Well, so that's the, uh, according to, to this this list, this great list. Uh, and there are a few that we don't know exactly, or there are some teams that don't have spring games. Uh, But the last date I can see for a spring game looks like there are eight, nine, ten of them scheduled for April 30th. So that means on May 1st they will be <laughs> done. So then I can <laughs> just go back, and you know, if I want to catch a replay, great. If I uh, want to, uh, you know, look for a note in a in a practice report, I can do that. I don't have to worry about missing anything new. So on on May 1st. It's all done, and I can go back and and you know learn anything I missed prior to that, and pretty much at least until then, and of course until you know, a, a bit after because there'll be some catch up to do. But I'll I'll feel like I'm missing so much because I just can't you know there are 130 teams and and they all we talked a little bit last week it was kind of nice that there were only seven or eight teams that had kicked off by that point so we could. Uh, we could spend a little time talking about New Mexico, uh, but looking at the the list and you know April 9th, April sixteenth, April twenty third, looks like there are at least a dozen games each of those days, and and uh, you know certainly certainly going to miss some. It's it's going to be uh, going to have to spend some time trying to catch up, um, and, but but May first it's over and done with, and and won't have to worry about it anymore at least as far as new stuff goes.
0: It looks like uh, April 17th is when the USFL starts, too. So uh, all of those guys that, like, Nick and 15 other people across the country have heard of all of them, you know, uh, because there were guys being drafted in that USFL drafts where I'm like, I have no idea who this is. I mean, they could have been faking the whole thing. And, uh, I would have not known who some of those guys were. So, I mean, obviously some of the names I recognize, but ooh, there were a lot of them where I was like, I don't know any of these guys, a lot of small school guys, uh, and, and all that stuff. So that'll be interesting too. We're going to have that in the middle of all of the spring practices a- as well. So, um, uh, are there any other, um, Xavier, what, uh, battles are you most interested in watching uh this spring uh because nick mentioned a lot of them you know there's uh some qb battles nebraska and pitt north carolina a a lot of replacement players these guys that are just put up huge numbers at the combine is it uh, mainly georgia players for you like it's texas players for me
2: No, it's actually, typically it is. Typically it is. But going into this year, it's the redemption arc of all of the quarterbacks that we thought were going to be like, that they were going to set the world alight. So, like Spencer Rattler of South Carolina, DJ Uyongalule at Clemson. Like, those are the guys that I'm like, huh, let's see what happens. Like, you guys got a fresh new season, new year. Let's see, you know, let's see how many, you know, how many of you guys won, especially for DJ Uyongalule. Clay Klubinick is like right behind, like there's, his job yeah. might be on the line. Like he, you know, he very well could be bitched at some point slash not win the job outright. You know, obviously on top of that, all of the quarterbacks who moved like Michael Penix at Washington, like all of these guys who going into the year, we thought, okay, he'll be a first rounder. Okay. Fringe second. Okay. Early third. That just didn't plan out at all. I just didn't have a good year whatsoever. A lot of those guys I'm going to be watching to, you know, see what they, what they're, you know, Era, their spring practices and their spring game is like because a lot of them have a lot to prove. Just outright, your season was terrible. You've got to bounce back this year, or your draft ability continues to plummet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know if you're looking beyond quarterbacks, uh, you just mentioned it, Nick, earlier. How the hell is Georgia going to replace all that talent along the defensive line? That's, I mean, I know you're going to have five star recruits and all, all that stuff because it's still Georgia, but I mean, that line was special. Like you said, Jermaine Johnson was on it and transferred to Florida State and is still going to be a first-rounder. Just couldn't get reps at Georgia. So I think that's one of the uh, biggest ones for me. Are there any uh, other ones that, like, uh, are – maybe even you're getting into CFF mindset here, Nick. Uh, Which ones are you uh, most excited to see play out?
1: There's definitely a little CFF mindset uh, that, you know, our Our buddy John Lobb uh, reached out about one of his first uh, set of composite rankings and and so I had to actually sit down and and write out a top twelve at each position and he uh, he also sh- you know reshared the uh, list from last year, and it was kind of funny because he always asked for, you know who's your early Heisman favorite? And I think he had five people uh, contribute to the, uh, piece last year and four of them, um, had Spencer Rattler as the Heisman favorite. Right. And so it was funny, just sort of, sort of look back and, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, Rattler is definitely one that it'll be interesting to see uh, a little later in, in, uh, the calendar, you know, what, what are some of the ports coming out of spring for guys like him, but, you know, in state, there, I think that Clemson quarterback battle is certainly going to be have a lot of eyes because I I haven't left DJ Young, you know for dead quite yet. Um, but last year was bad, and you know yeah. he is definitely going to be pushed by one of the top quarterbacks in the most recent class. Texas A and M is an intriguing team. They will have a, a quarterback battle. Might be an opportunity for uh, a true freshman to get involved there. Uh, But also, I mean, that that's a team that has so much talent and it's not just, you know, this most recent class that was so highly rated, but they've got skill position players who, uh, you know, some of my favorites, Devin A. Chain and and, uh, uh, Anaya Smith, I mean, would love to see those guys, you know, operate in an offense that really can highlight their skill set and with a quarterback um, that can, you know, deliver the ball uh, put those guys in a position to be uh, highly successful so it would be interesting to see if if you know Texas A m can find his quarterback that might be the missing piece for them to, to take a uh, a next step and, and really become a national title contender right you know they looked at times over the last couple of years pretty close to that but the quarterback's been a little bit of a uh, you know shaky spot for them and you mentioned the, the Georgia defensive line? I've been focused uh, a little bit more, at least at this early stage, uh, on offensive lines. What are the offensive lines that are uh, missing the most? Have to replace the most? And you know, we talked about the two uh, transfers this week, and, and Texas Tech needed it. I mean, they are both of those teams, UCLA and Texas Tech, uh, were both uh, expected to return only two starters. And according to my first run through. Power five teams um, with two or few starters on, on the offensive line. I count 10 six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five, five, five. Fifteen. Fifteen power five teams. Uh, you know, will lose three or more starters and then there are a handful. Another one we talked about at length today. LSU returns one uh, starter full-time starter, Minnesota one full-time starter, Boston College one. And then at least as of as of right now, and among the power five, uh, Virginia is the only team that is expected to return its or excuse me, expected to have to replace its entire starting offensive line. Uh if my, my first run through numbers are correct. So there's going to be a lot more, you know, offensive line shifting and and uh fewer high Really highly experienced offensive lines this year and and we've talked in the past about how numbers you know offensive line is not the most important when it comes to returning production in some cases you know some studies have shown that it's among the least important but just me in in my head uh, it's important I, I feel like I would much rather have an experienced offensive line that's used to playing together than I would having to rebuild it um over you know the course of a, a spring and summer so it it might not you know the numbers might not necessarily back it up as being the most important but to me it's it's one that uh, I will certainly be keeping an eye on some of these uh units that are having to rebuild having to fill uh, a lot of pieces, especially some you know uh, LSU might have uh you know they, they might be a sneaky, sec west title contender just I, I really have liked what they've done in the transfer portal um but that offensive line is a major concern kentucky is you know maybe a maybe right now the top challenger to georgia a what could be especially on defense uh and hear off
0: inexperienced for kentucky
1: oh, i, I you. know we have a we have a roller coaster relationship Kentucky and I but, <laughs> uh, but you know the offensive line which has been such a strength for them in, in recent years, they're one of the teams on this list. they, they have two starters uh, expected to come back. so it's it's just interesting because some teams that we're talking about new quarterback or you know, maybe the missing piece or you know this new offense that should come in and, and shake things up. Uh, how is that personnel going to work? on the offensive line uh, is a team like Michigan state going to be able to continue uh, with the, the, you know, progress that they showed last year. Well, they've got to replace three starters on the offensive line. Plus Kenneth Walker, you know, how is that going to work together? So uh, another long winded answer, but offensive line right now is kind of on my, uh, on my radar as well as the ball state secondary, because I just updated in our 2022 sheet, uh, ball state and they're losing a lot in that secondary next year. So
0: keep an eye out for that (laughs) that as well. That's right. Uh, whatever's right in front of you. I mean, it's funny because you mentioned, uh, Minnesota only having one lineman uh, coming back, and then I thought about them for your previous question. You know what schools have been showing up uh, at the combine with you know guys like Winfield and Bateman and Filele and Boy Mafe this year and stuff like that. Minnesota has had uh, some decent combine yeah. guys a- as well. So, but I think uh, I think that is it for this week. I know Xavier has got to go. Uh, he's he's got to go right now. So we got to get out of here. But um, remember, we will back be back next week. To talk more college football and you can follow us all on twitter in the meantime at bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for nick and at xavier underscore trish T-R-I-C-H-E for xavier and we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody
1: thank you to our patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects thanks also to blake austin for our theme music to learn more about cfb winning edge Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.